The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to or navigate to the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs. We uh, we're heading into the month of July uh, and things are slowing down a little bit for us in the summertime. The office is closed this week. Obviously, tomorrow is the holiday, uh, but it just works out well for our staff to be able to overlap some time off. And so uh, call us and leave a message if you need something. If it's an emergency, you know how to get in touch with us, but the office will be closed this week. And uh, we don't have uh, any large groups happening in July. There's a lot of celebrations and barbecues and fun things happening, camps and family vacations. So lots of uh, fun ways that we're connecting with each other and others. Uh, We do have youth group happening through the month of July. So Wednesday nights, youth will be here six to eight. And uh, we look forward to spending time together. But everything else is kind of slowing down. And uh, we expect you to have some busy summer plans. You guys got some plans? I think we should have had a who's the most festive for the holiday weekend uh, contest here. We could have done a little red, white, and blue out in the lobby. Uh, But you guys look good, and we're excited to jump into the Word together. Proverbs chapter one, we're uh, starting a new series. We're gonna be in the book of Proverbs for all of July and all of August. And um, I'm gonna read verses one to seven and then we're gonna pray. And I need the Lord's help because I've been studying the Proverbs and it's a book like any other. Um, there's a, just a lifetime worth of information. It's kind of like uh, the life reference book of the Bible. And so as I've been trying to take it all in, I feel like I have 127 sermons bouncing around in my brain and they're all trying to get out. And so my job this morning is to just let them out one at a time. And so that's what I'm praying for. And uh, for your well-being, I invite you to join with me in praying that prayer. But let's read Proverbs chapter one, verses one to seven as we begin. Proverbs 1, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here's verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. We thank you for its timeless truth and the power it contains to transform. God, we thank you that your word is not only active and alive and ready and willing to do work in our hearts, but it is attended by the power of your Holy Spirit who calls us out, opens our eyes to see and gives us ears to hear. God, I pray that each of us would have a disposition of heart to receive from you. God, that we would hear your words speaking to us and that we would receive from you the good things that you want to give to us this morning. God, the the keys to life and liberty and peace and prosperity. God, we thank you for this collection of writings, these proverbs and wisdom. God, we thank you for the way it can 
shape and protect our lives lived in the flesh, but even more than that, God, I thank you that it provides for us a window into eternity and an invitation into a relationship with you, God, that brings us true life, eternal life. So I pray this morning, God, that you would help me to deliver your word to your people. And God, I pray that we would have hearts to receive what our ears are about to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I grew up in a, uh, a Christian home and we we're a, a kind of a poor family. And so we got a lot of our clothes secondhand. I'll never forget the joy of tearing open a trash bag to see if there was anything that fit me and was also cool. Uh, it was a rarity. And uh, one of the brands that was really popular when I was in middle school was No Fear. You guys remember No Fear? Anybody have any No Fear garb? Got some throwback No Fear t-shirt in your bottom drawer. Never makes it out. So uh, I didn't get any No Fear shirts in a giveaway bag, but uh, a Christian bookstore closed and we got these huge bags of Christian t-shirts at the church. Someone dropped them off and I'll never forget during youth group night going through and finding uh, the shirt in my size and it had in giant neon green over black letters, No Fear, K-N-O-W, Fear. And it had this verse underneath in small writing, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I was so stoked to have what I thought was at least a, a modicum of cool shirt. And it was new, and so I wore it proudly. And uh, I'll never forget wearing it uh, in New Smyrna Beach in, I don't know, the mid-90s. And I was skateboarding around, trying to be super cool, cooler than I was. And I went into a surf shop, and uh, the guy behind the counter was... Um, an antagonist atheist who was ready to just pounce on my naive Christianity. And so I'm trying to pay for surfboard wax for a dollar. And uh, he asked me theological questions. He says, uh, if God's my creator, why should I fear him? And I was not prepared for his question. <laughs> I was just trying to be cool for a minute, you know? And um, I just kind of was like bug-eyed, like what? what is happening in this surf shop right now? And, um, and he was really kind of antagonistic and pushing me, like, why should I be afraid of God? If God is good, then why should I be afraid of him? And I remember like choking out some, some answer to some sermon I half slept through at some point in my life. And uh, he was not satisfied with his answer and neither was I. And with my head down, I skateboarded all the way home and cracked open Proverbs to figure out what does that mean in the first place? And it, it took me not just a day or a week or a season or childhood, but coming to understand what the fear of the Lord actually is has been not only uh, an invaluable premise for life as I have had to live it and as each of us have, uh, but it also is the key to understanding what follows in this book. And so I thought it'd be a helpful place to start, you know, at the beginning uh, with this verse, which is handed off to us at the outset in the introduction of Proverbs so that we might benefit maximally from what follows. And so I wanna talk this morning a little bit about the fear of the Lord. Uh, and as we do that, I wanna talk about how it fits into the overall theme of this particular book. So I don't wanna presume that everybody in the room knows the terms we're using, but the book of Proverbs is taken from uh, its majority contents, which is Proverbs 10 to 29, which is you know 20 chapters of uh, wisdom in pithy sayings. And that's, that's what a proverb is. What is a proverb? It's a short, pithy saying. In general use, people throw it around, everybody kind of knows what it means, and it states a general truth or a piece of advice. You guys know some of these proverbs, not in the Bible, like a bird in the hand is worth what? Two in the bush, right? 
You jumped out of the frying pan and into the? Yeah, so these are ones that we're used to using to describe a reality or a situation that's part of the common experience. My dad used to do a lot of helpful things for people, and sometimes you'd go to try to help somebody and things would get worse for you and not better. He used to say, no good deed goes unpunished. And you guys ever say that? Or if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. And there's all these little proverbs that kind of make their way around our lives. And some of them uh, just help us to cope with life as it's lived. Other ones contain uh, really kind of timeless advice, like look before you leap. You guys ever heard that one? So there's some that are just common, but the ones collected for us in the book of Proverbs are not just kind of cultural and mostly true and helpful and kind of describe the human experience. The ones we have here have been life-giving to the people of God for close to 3,000 years. And not only that, uh, but these Proverbs um, have been compiled for us and represent the wisdom of Solomon. And so we know Proverbs is a pithy saying that grabs a hold of some general truth and applies wisdom to our lives. The book of Proverbs is not just a collection of Proverbs, which it is. It also has this introduction followed by a preamble that contains 14 speeches, which are appeals, 10 of which come from a father to a son, and four are spoken by Lady Wisdom herself. The personification of wisdom, which is an attribute of God, was present with God at creation and by which everything exists. And the idea here is that the world we live in is well-ordered by God. And if you will listen to wisdom, you will know how to function in it for your maximum benefit. And so Lady Wisdom calls out in these four speeches in chapters one all the way through the end of chapter nine. And so this is what Proverbs is. It is wisdom from kings and mothers and fathers, Lady Wisdom herself. And it gives us insight, not only for right living, um, but for kind of a, a maximum benefit. And, and here's why this is important. And I'll tell you, I don't, you could be 10 years old in the room or uh, pushing triple digits on your next birthday. Uh, I will tell you in my short life of 40 years, Everything in this book that I have obeyed has turned out to be far better than I could have possibly imagined. And all of the worst mistakes I have made, if I would have followed the advice in these pages, could have potentially saved me from worlds of trouble. Anybody else in the house can say amen? And so you are gonna find just incredible, rich wisdom. And uh, it's interesting to note where this comes from. So there's at least three, possibly four authors in this collection of Proverbs. But we already read in verse one that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. And Solomon has become kind of like the personification in Israel's history of the source of all knowledge. And if you've been studying the Bible for any length of time, you know that Solomon just didn't happen to be wise. It wasn't that he had a great education. It's that Solomon was asked by God in a dream to be given anything as the newly appointed king of Israel. And what Solomon asked for was what? Wisdom. Yeah, you can go back and read the whole story. It's 1 Kings in chapter three. Solomon says to the Lord in this dream, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. And verse 10 says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this 
And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. How many of you guys would like to hear God say something like that to you? How would you like to have God give you a one-wish genie in the bottle moment? And what is it you would ask for? Now, some of you are here right now and you're thinking, I would ask for the same thing. Well, I got good news for you. Solomon wrote it down. And so you've got 31 chapters of gold, miraculous gold, gifted to a man called for a particular purpose. And he has discovered, recorded, and it's been preserved for us. And over the next eight weeks, we are gonna take in some of it. Now, I guarantee you, we will not get all of it, not in eight weeks. As I mentioned, this is like desk reference wisdom encyclopedia for the rest of your life. These are Proverbs that are meant to be read again and again and again. And eventually you'll read them and you'll remember them. You'll go through a thing and that proverb will stand out and you'll never forget it. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so we are going to, we're going to saturate ourselves independently at home during the week. Um, to do that, we've provided for everyone a Proverbs journal which if you didn't get one already, they're on the back table. You can grab one as our gift to you on your way out. It is just the Proverbs and it has wide margins for you to make notes. And so as you study and as you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, write down the things that you're seeing and maybe some of the th mistakes you've made or, or the choices you've made that have aligned with the wisdom of God and have turned out the way that he promised, questions you have about the texts. There's some conundrums in there. You're like, wait a second, this just said this and now it says this. Ah, somebody's trying to get you to dust off your thinking cap. And so make some notes and, and journal through this journey in the Proverbs. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. One of the cool things in 1 Kings chapter three, if you decide to read it, is we have this interaction in the first half of the chapter between God and Solomon and Solomon receives this wisdom. And then the second half of the chapter is Solomon using this wisdom. And so you may know the story, maybe you heard it or read it at some point, but two prostitutes appear before Solomon and two prostitutes who had recently had babies, one of which uh, the mother rolled over on and it died in its sleep. And that mother, we're told, who has stolen the other prostitute's baby and swapped them while she was asleep. And so they're coming contesting over the life of the living child. And so I don't know how this case ended up before the king, but he sees these two women and calls for a sword. And he says, let's be equitable here. We'll divide the living baby in half and give you both half. To which the non-mother says, that sounds fair to me. And the mother, the true mother says, let the baby live by no means do this thing, which alerted Solomon to who the true mother was. And so the wisdom of Solomon is immediately on display in the story. And that's gonna emerge a couple times during the series because there's some components of that story and the wisdom of God that, will blow your mind if you understand it. And so in addition to Proverbs, check out 1 Kings chapter three and see if anything stands out to you. Proverbs is part of an, an overall genre in the Bible called wisdom literature. A few summers ago, we went through the book of Job in a series called Surprised by God. I don't know how many of you were here for that. But Proverbs functions in the wisdom literature as kind of like the principles of reality, the way that God wired the world to work. And if you abide by these principles, things will mostly go well for you, but it does not pretend to speak to the exceptions to the rule. How many of you guys have done the exact right thing only to have it go bad? 
Like my dad's proverb, no good deed goes unpunished. You would imagine the more good things you do, they'll come back to bless you. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you wish I hadn't helped, I hadn't stopped, I hadn't intervened. The books of Job and Ecclesiastes speak to the margins, to the exceptions, to understanding the quandaries of life, why things don't go the way that they should when they ought to, and how we ought to understand God in the midst of the things that happen outside of the circle of basic principle and wisdom. So you probably don't have enough brain power this summer to do Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, but just so you know where we're at, some of the things you're going to read in here, they're not 100% guarantees. They are generally true principles. And so we are going to discover that as well. If you come from a Catholic background, you may have also wondered about the wisdom of Solomon or Sirach, which are other apocryphal books, collections of wisdom writings that are not in the New Testament canon for Protestants. And uh, these books uh, are of unknown origin. That's why they're called apocrypha. And so some traditions include them in the Bible and others because their origin or authors unknown, they are kept in a separate book called the apocrypha. Now, that's a little bit of background about, this, about the book, but I wanna go back to the passage we read and talk about who needs this wisdom. How many of you guys feel like you could use a little wisdom right now for a little situation, for a little situation? If, you do, if you're not asking for wisdom, somebody drove you here. I guarantee you that. So all of us are, are looking for answers from God. And so the idea of wisdom is immediately, is immediately um, appealing. And so I want to go back to verses two to six and see who this book was actually written for. And I think you will find it helpful. Look at verse two. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, this is what we're trying to do. To receive instruction in wise dealing, what, in what areas? In righteousness, justice, and equity. These are the words that God chooses to include here that we need understanding and wise dealing for. These are the things important to him. To give prudence to who? The simple. Isn't that encouraging? You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to have any letters after your name. You don't have to have a high IQ or have done well on the SAT. This wisdom is accessible to and provided for those who are just simple, regular people with simple, regular minds who don't know a whole lot. And to give knowledge and discretion to what? The youth, the youth. And so there's nobody outside the range of uh, this material being useful. So if you're young and you go, I'll worry about that later. That's not important to me. 401k, I don't even know what that means. I remember going to a Dave Ramsey class and he was saying, if you put away this much money when you were 25 years old, by the time you're 65 years old, you'll have $2.6 million. And he was doing all this math. And I thought, I'm gonna do that. And then I turned 25 and I was like, that's too hard. I don't have enough money. And then I got to 30 and I was like, let me do those numbers again. It still wasn't bad. And at 35, I was like, I should have done this at 25. <laughs> you know how this works? And so even if you're young and these things don't seem important to you, uh, this book was written for you, but not just you. Also, there's an appeal to those who are already wise or knowledgeable. Verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands already to obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise and their riddles. And then what's given to us is the chief virtue of receiving wisdom. And that is verse seven, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And that's what I wanna talk to you about this morning. Because uh, if you're simple or if you're young or if you're wise and understanding, all of us need what God is offering here. The question is, do all of us understand that we need it? Are all of us willing to benefit from it? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then there's a warning after a semicolon. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Set against the character of the wise or the one who fears the Lord throughout the whole book is the the concept of the fool. And we're gonna talk about the fool quite a bit over the next eight weeks. But it it is a fool who ends in destruction, a fool whose God is his belly, a fool who is lazy, who is unfaithful, who is rebellious. And this particular person who has this disposition actually despises wisdom and instruction and is unable to benefit from it. Now, I believe that if we will diligently study this summer, the book of Proverbs, that there is incredible benefit that each one of us will experience personally and individually. And I'm excited for the things that I'm gonna learn and the way my faith's gonna be strengthened, the way my vision of life's gonna be made more clear and the way I'm gonna grow through the time spent in the Proverbs. I also believe that as a church, if we really start to take God's word seriously and we come to God asking for wisdom, James tells us we have every reason to believe we'll receive it. And if we have the disposition that we're gonna discover the fear of the Lord, we will have God on our side and hearts ready to not only hear what he says, but to do what he directs. Can I get amen? And that means that he wants to do a a thing to strengthen our church in this particular season. Not only that, but God has us here for a purpose. And that purpose is to be influential and to minister to those who are outside of the influence of God's voice, who are disconnected from his life-giving spirit and who are in need of the truth of God's word. And so the people we're trying to reach are not just us in here for our benefit, but we're trying to get a hold of the reality that God has given to us so that we can share it with those who are in dire need of it. Can I get amen? And so this series is about receiving wisdom from God for four things, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. And that is life, liberty, peace, and prosperity. And if that sounds a little bit like the Declaration of Independence, some of you are wondering, was this made for the 4th of July weekend on purpose? How many of you guys were thinking that? You're like, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I know this one. Now, uh, I do want to take just a moment uh, to talk about that. And I, I love... I love our founding documents. Um, This is not a Christian nationalist sermon. I am not here to espouse the the beauty and prophetic power of the American experiment or to preach to you from the Declaration of Independence, but I do wanna show you something. This is the preamble of the Declaration. The unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And so we are gonna get Uh, I believe 29 reasons why the colonists were rejecting the tyranny of the English king and were setting out to form their own government at risk of their lives and property. And here are the universal truths that the preamble include. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Do you hear the universality of those claims? Do you hear it? Do you hear that these are truths for all people? These could be applied to anyone, one people separated from another, that these are the result of the laws of nature, the way the world has worked, what we're gonna see from Lady Wisdom, who is at the founding with God, creating things and speaking things into existence, that wisdom is woven into the, the human reality. And if you look around, you'll see that there are in fact laws of nature and they come from nature's God. These were the convictions of the founders. But I'm here to remind everyone this morning that these were not their ideas, nor were they simply the result of centuries of wisdom that came from trial and error at humankind. But these are the truths that are espoused and, and given to us in God's word. That every person is born with equal value and dignity in the image of God. That life is a gift. That we are not independent creatures, but that we are created by, owned by God and accountable to him as judge. That we have a burden on each one of us to carry out the virtues of God. And that is actually what true freedom is. When we use the powers that have been given and gifted to us for the good of other people and in quite reverence to God. And so these principles that are in our founding documents are derived from God and from the scriptures. And this is where their brilliance comes from. Now we here are existing in a world where these particular values and the wisdom that undergirds them are being eroded at an incredibly fevered pace. And some people, some people, even Christian people would look at that and think that that is a good thing. And they would look to any negativity or evil that exists in any institution and say, that's a justification for tearing the whole thing down but I'm here to tell you that we will do more damage than good to undermine the value and the power of what's real and true from God's perspective than to alter and continue to purify it as has been our tradition. And I'm here to tell you that this, is, this works because it's somewhat in line with what God has deemed from the beginning for all humankind. And so I'm not here to say America is better than everybody else because of our founder, founding fathers, because of our documents. I'm not here to say that everyone should be like us or we should implement what we're doing in places all over the world. I'm just saying that this was built on purpose and it was founded on a lot of what God had said that is true. And that it has turned out to bring about a world that is more free and more prosperous than any other society in human existence. And that's what's available to you individually personally, and through your influence to more and more and more people. Because as I see it, brothers and sisters, right now we're in a bit of a, a cultural, political war where wisdom is fighting ideology. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not. There's a lot of truth claims, a lot of um, underlying assumed premises, a lot of conversation, and mostly a lot of tearing down and criticism and arguing and fighting. It's uh, quite unpalatable and ugly, but it's the world we live in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not on social media anymore. It's bad for me in every conceivable way. And so if I didn't say happy birthday on your Facebook page, that's why. 
but it also allows me to escape a lot of the uh, atrocity of the comments, which is where our opinions contrast unfettered and a lot of destructive conversation and relationships are broken down. But here, what I can tell you is just by listening to the voices who are the loudest in our culture, I can tell you that there is a direct conflict right now between the, the founding wisdom of what our country is and stands for. And I can't think of a better weekend to talk about it as we're starting the Proverbs and an ideology that only likes to point out the evil. Now, I know a lot about ideologies that only like to point out what's wrong because I grew up in church and Christians are really good at pointing out what's wrong. We're good at pointing out what's wrong in each other. We're good at pointing out what's wrong in programs. We're good at pointing out what's wrong in institutions. We're good at going, I wouldn't do it like that and that's no good and I would stop that and that's ugly, that's not the right way. We're good at, we've been fighting in minutia for centuries. And so when I look out in the world and see the same thing, it's not unfamiliar. But here's what I'm here to tell you. There is a critical ideology that has no answers. And what it seeks to destroy only erodes human flourishing because it goes against the wisdom of God. It ends up not creating mostly life, but creating a cult of death. It ends up not giving people the freedom, freedom that it postulates, which is really more akin to personal sovereignty it only locks those people into a bondage that they have never known and without help can never escape from. This is an ideology that does not promote peace, but conflict and violence. And there is an ideology that aims for prosperity, but only brings poverty. And so it's important that we not listen to the words that people say as they just attack and tear down and hold up things that are against the values of God. But I guarantee you, when you get your head in here and your eyes in here and your heart engaged and you listen to the voice of God, you can be simple, you can be young, you can be wise and discerning, but you will find for yourself wisdom from God that provides for you life, that tells you what true freedom looks like and how to, how to experience it, that brings peace in your inner being and begins to evoke peace in your relationships in the world. And everywhere you go, you become a peacemaker, a son or a daughter of God. And it will bring about for you maximum human flourishing and prosperity. We're going to get into each of these four categories in this series, but I want us to begin to value them. Now, something and I want to start to kind of wrap up and close here. And I know this sermon's a little tricky because we're introducing a book and we're talking about things that are unfamiliar and we're wondering how this is going to interact with the way we see the world and what it looks like for us personally. And I don't want us to just get insulated and try to live a better life. I don't want us to make better choices for us and just get the good things God wants to give us without recognizing that he sent us here to be influential to have good news of great joy for all people, to know how the wisdom of the way his world works gives people access to the life and liberty, peace and prosperity that he died so that they could achieve it and receive it by faith. And so what I wanna show to you is as we consider on week one, the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord is a disposition that starts with you recognizing that you are not God. And you'd think that would kind of go without saying, but lo and behold, I also was a middle school boy. And as you, as you grow and as you live this one life we have, it is very easy to live in a world that revolves around you. Can I get amen? And we, we will put ourselves without even thinking or trying on the throne of our own hearts and seek to become the judge of all things. 
We come to God's word and we go, what do I think this means? What do I, how true do I believe this is? This is good for me. And we stand above it as judge instead of as a receiver of God's divine revelation. And so the fear of the Lord is, is beginning with a disposition of heart to say, okay, there is a God and I am not him. And then he has claiming to reveal himself as the creator of the universe. And he is not just God. He, this is the fear of the Lord. This is the covenant name of God. This is the God who makes promises to people. This is the God who says, I made the world to be a good world. And because of its brokenness, I'm going to make promises to solve those problems. And I'm going to invite people to come into a relationship with me that, that provides for them safety and salvation and deliverance and fruitfulness and forgiveness. And so the fear of the Lord is when you have a disposition to say, I am not God, you are, but I am listening. You are speaking, you are inviting, you are offering, and I'm coming humbly to receive and to respond. And so you, you must have that disposition from the outset of the book if you're gonna benefit from what it says. Otherwise, you'll go, I'll take that one, I'll leave this one. I'll take this one, I'll leave this one. I like this one, I'm gonna, send, I'm gonna text this to someone. Put it on Facebook. I'll just leave this right here. Passive aggressive for the person you know we're both talking about. And so we gotta have a disposition that says, I am here to, to hear from God. Now, Jesus, Jesus, in his ministry, he encountered Israelites who stood before him and said, okay, you're claiming to be the Messiah. We're gonna need some proof. Let's see your ID, Jesus. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Why? It seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, very, very, very evil people, so will the son of man be to this generation. And then he says this, the queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater then Solomon is here. This is Jesus speaking of himself. Now, I wanna point out to you the importance of knowing Jesus and experiencing the fear of the Lord. And I'll invite the worship team to come up. They're gonna close us with a song. This is Proverbs 17, 15 is one of these conundrums. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now think about that for a second. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now you could be an official judge or you could be a person of influence. You could be a person of authority, but you could say, knowing that someone had done something wrong and you give them a pass and you say, no, that's a good person and they are free to go. Or the converse of that, the inverse of that, here is a innocent person known to be innocent but they're gonna receive a sentence they do not deserve. And God says that is unjust and evil. And it turns his stomach. It's an abomination. Now, how many of you guys would say that that is true? You say that that's just true. If you're standing before a court knowing you're innocent and you receive a verdict of condemned, you would say that is unjust. Likewise, if someone you know to be guilty is proclaimed to be innocent and let free, you'd say that is unjust. But is that not in fact 
what all of us who are here today worshiping have experienced, that we who were guilty came before God knowing our guilt and as a gift of His grace, He justified us. He proclaimed us righteous when we indeed were not just or right. And would it not be true that the eternal Son of God, a Son of God better than the Son of King David, Jesus Himself, hung, suspended between heaven and earth to receive the penalty for sins, none of which he had committed, and he in our place was condemned? And here is the wisdom of God. Not that God did the thing he said was an abomination, but that God made a way. He revealed himself to be of a kind, different than you thought, a person and a being before whom you would bow in reverent honor and trust every word from his lip. Why? Paul says it this way, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The God of the mysteries of ages, the God of the foundations of the earth, the God of wisdom is the God who devised a plan, a way, a way of salvation for guilty people to be made into innocent people. Those who would put their faith in his son, Jesus, who would trust him, who would embody the fear of the Lord and receive his gift of salvation. Your guilt was taken away and it was placed on God's eternal son. He himself became the substitute. He died so you would live. He became poverty stricken so that you might prosper. He was condemned so that you could have peace with God. He was crushed so that you could be liberated. There is a wisdom from God that's like nothing else you've ever seen. It's not just good advice so that you can end well. This is, this is an insight into the way the world works, into the very heart of God that transforms every person who really understands it. And so I'm inviting you to come with an open heart and open hands, but I'm also telling you, you will encounter a God who loves you more than anything you've ever experienced or could imagine. He's more powerful than anything you can conceive. He wants to do well by you and is just beckoning you, calling you to say, come, come, will you listen? Will you come with me? Will you journey? Will you receive the good things I have in store? Will you receive life, liberty, peace, prosperity? Will you learn to reject the lies? And will you learn to have hearts and ears for the truth? This is the wisdom of God that can be yours through the fear of the Lord. So I wanna invite you. If you know you're not God, I wanna invite you to come to God open, willing, offering yourself and ready to listen and hear. He's 100% trustworthy. No one else has given as much as he's given so that he can give you everything that he deserves. No one knows more than him. And you will face impossible situations in life. You will not know what to do, but there will be wisdom from God for you. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. It's not a terror. You don't have to be scared. It's a disposition to say, you are God and I am not, but I'm following after you and I'm offering myself to you. And if you have that disposition of heart right now, then simply come to God and with us sing, I'm available. I'm available. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every person in my hearing. Lord, and I pray that we would each begin to experience more and more this disposition of the fear of the Lord. God, I pray that we would encounter you and 
and receive life. Be set free in new ways. God, have peace on the inside and in our relationships and begin to prosper and flourish as we trust you and obey your word. Do your work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.